Well, folks, I would ask you to turn in your copies of God's Word to Philemon. Philemon 6. That's verse 6 because, of course, there's only one chapter. We'll also be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, as you see there at the top of your, of your paper. If you don't have a paper, there are a couple maybe left on that back pew uh, back there. There are a couple here on the front pew, so don't be bashful. You can grab one of those if you'd like and follow along. Um, this is a, a standalone lesson. It's not in, in uh, any series that I'm doing. We're kind of shifting gears right here at the beginning of the new year and uh, looking forward to, to, to continuing to study for some... Uh, some new things on Sunday night and Wednesday night. But tonight, I thought it would be helpful to try our best to answer the question, how is it that spiritual good is accomplished in our hearts? How is it that life change happens? You know, change is a very interesting thing. Many of us don't like change. I, for one, am a person who doesn't like a lot of change. I like routine. I like for things to be predictable. Uh, Every year, uh, I have a a great aunt who puts on a little family get-together in between Christmas and New Year's. In the last couple of years, I haven't been able to go for for different reasons. This year, of course, COVID. Last year, uh, as a matter of fact, a year ago tonight was when our son was admitted into the hospital when we were going through all this stuff. So the last couple of years, I haven't been able to go, but we meet at uh, uh, traditionally at my Aunt Vera's house in Boonville. And, of course, Aunt Vera has gone on to be with the Lord a, a number of years ago, but her house is still there and, and, and owned by the family. And I like to sit in the same little seat on the same little couch next to the same not-so-little uncle and open up the, the, the same book, The History of Yadkin County, North Carolina. I flip through it, and my Aunt Vera, who's now passed away, she had this unique ability to remember so many things, and she had, uh, in this book, is annotated by her, and she has her own little corrections. Everything that the historical committee got wrong, she was sure to write in the margin, and she even uh, had the, 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 um, uh, the pluck, to, to cross out things in the book that were wrong and to write down the corrections. And so one day, I suppose, I would like to submit that to the historical committee and let them know everything that they got wrong. But I like to sit there every year and read the same book next to the same uncle who they're all having the same conversations that they do every year, see each other once a year, and just kind of pick up the conversation that we had a year ago. And uh, anyway, um, so I don't like change, but the reality is... Our lives are meant to be lives of change. In other words, we hope that when we come to know Jesus at age 5 or 7 or 27 or 60 or 75, we hope that whenever we come to know Jesus, we never stay right there. We hope that God is introducing us to new truths and he's making us more like Jesus. And over the course of our lives, we can look back and say, you know, I'm not where I used to be. God, by his grace... And only by His grace has made me more like Jesus. Jay Adams, the father of the biblical counseling movement, um, who actually just passed away this year, um, sadly, in, in South Carolina, um, he, uh, he has said that the Christian life is a life of change. That this is who we are. God is continually renewing us and making us more and more like Jesus. But how does this happen? How how does it happen practically on the ground? What means 
does God use to change us? I think some of the means that he uses to change us is trial. The scriptures speak about this, that God intends to use trials to change us and to purify us. Trials are spoken of as a, as a fire and all the impurities are, are purged, are, are cleansed from us through the fire of persecution. God intends to use um, other people to, to change us as, as his means of, of change. But tonight, we're going to talk about fellowship, knowledge, and reminder. These are the things that I believe uh, God's word says he intends to use to make us more like Jesus. So as we look in Philemon, it's kind of hard to just drop down in verse 6 and read verse 6 by itself. We need to read the context. So why don't we just start at verse 1 and read at least through verse 6. It says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So of course Paul is writing from prison. It's one of his prison epistles. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So he's writing this to a church that's meeting in a home, a house church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He begins this letter almost word for word. How he begins Ephesians. Verse 6. This is the verse that, that we're looking at. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for, so this is the purpose, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. But let's look back at verse 6. It says this, I pray that the, the sharing of your faith, perhaps your, your copy of God's Word, your translation says fellowship. Does anyone say fellowship or communion? Well, is, does anyone here have a, a translation of the Scriptures that says something other than sharing? Participation, yes sir? Communication of your faith, anything else? Okay. I pray that the sharing, the, the participation of your faith, the, the communication, all of these things are things that are done in community with other believers. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Okay? For what? So that you may have, I'm doing a little editorializing here, but for the full knowledge, I, I pray that it may become effective so that you may have, or for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You see what he's saying here? He's saying that there are some things that can be true of you in Christ that are known to God, that have been secured by Christ. There are things that are true of you that you may not even be aware of unless the sharing, the communication, the participation of your faith becomes effective for the full knowledge of these things. 
See what he says. I pray that the sharing of your faith, in other words, the bumping up and the rubbing up against other believers as you work out your faith, I pray that that sharing, that communication, that participation might become effective. It might be made useful. It might do some good for the full knowledge of everything that is already in you so that you can have a full knowledge of it. Everything that is, that is in us for the sake of Christ. We've got to talk about a word that's here, and that word is fellowship or sharing of your faith or the, the, um, the, the participation. It comes from a Greek word called koinonia. And that word means, of course, it means fellowship. This is the top line on your, on your page. It means fellowship in other places in the New Testament. It's very prominent in 1 John. This word comes up all the time in 1 John. Fellowship, light and darkness, and having fellowship with God and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And having good fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence that you actually have fellowship with God. This horizontal relationship and fellowship gives it bears witness to the vertical relationship that you have with God. Look at 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is one example in 1 John. This is the message that we had heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have koinonia, if we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this has to do with fellowship among other believers. So when you see that word, and I pray that the sharing, that the participation, that the communication, that that, that all comes from the same word that is used for fellowship. It has to do with being in the presence, being sharpened by, being, being made more like Jesus because of your relationships with other believers. Friends, this is why, and I feel like I'm I'm a broken record when I say this, but I'm just going to keep saying it as long as it keeps coming up in the Bible, is that this season that we're going through with COVID is excruciating because I know that there are people who I'm afraid are using this time as an excuse to not be committed to the fellowship, to the koinonia of of the local church. But I feel like I can't talk, I can't say that because I'm afraid it'll heap guilt on another group of people who don't need to be here for safety reasons. Does that make sense? There's a group of people who, who are providentially hindered. They're because of prudence Because of wisdom, they need to be separated from large groups of people for their own health. And we understand that. And we don't want to do anything that would heap guilt upon these people at all. But at the same time, we already, friends, before COVID ever happened, we already live in a culture of of even believers in churches who very readily think to themselves, Oh, I don't want to get out of bed today. I just want to do church at home. 
Okay, friends, I'm just going to be honest with you about what I believe that the Bible teaches. The Bible, you don't do church from home. Now, it's possible if you have a whole church that meets in your home, like what's happening right here in Philemon, and you have some deacons and some elders, some deacons and pastors, and you share communion, and that, that is the local church. Friends, that's a church. Okay, that's fine. But if you roll out of bed and want to turn on Facebook and do church from home, that's not church. Okay? That's watching a sermon. It'll do spiritual good for you. It's better than nothing, but it's not the koinonia. It's not the fellowship. It's not the Hebrews 10.25 gathering of the saints. Does that make sense? If I, I'm hoping I'm, I'm being clear. I'm not going into this ditch. I hope I'm not going into this ditch. But what, what I'm saying is that this kind of relationship, I want to be, man, I, just, I feel like a caged lion. I just want to be teaching this and saying, listen, friends, the church is important. But I don't want to do that in such a way that heaps guilt on the people who really don't need to be around large groups of people because of health concerns. So the reality is, though, I'm going to do the best I can to, to save both sides. I'm going to do the best I can um, and, and hope that folks will give me grace to not hear me saying something that I'm not trying to say. But we have to have fellowship with other believers in order to be made who God desires us to be. That's the consistent teaching of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And it, as a matter of fact, it was so profound in the early church that an early church father even said, no one can have God for his father who doesn't have the church as his mother. That's how deeply the early church understood the gathering of believers. It makes sense because they were the people who were risking their very lives just to gather. And so uh, um, they, they certainly understood these things. But this fellowship, it has a purpose. It has an end goal. This, this fellowship, this sharing of our faith, when we say the word share your faith, it, what, what do we mean usually? When, we say, when I tell you as a pastor, go share your faith, what do you think of? To witness, to evangelize, to share the gospel, right? Now, that's included in what he's saying here. He's, but it's more than that. The sharing of your faith, the participation, the fellowship of, of believers when they come together around the Christian faith. That's more what's in view here. Now, that always does lead to sharing the gospel, it leads to sharing your faith in the way that we speak of it. But when he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, in other words, think of it this way, I pray that the coming together that you do around Jesus, I pray that God would use that. This is, this is not thus saith the Lord. This is just thus thinketh Greg. This is me trying to explain the scriptures, right? This is what pre pastors do. We try to shepherd and explain the sense. We're try, trying to give, as it says in Nehemiah, give the sense of the word, okay? That's what I'm trying to do here. He, he's saying something like this. I pray that you're coming together around the word of God. You're coming together around Jesus, and you're, you're being in community with one another. I pray that God would use that and make it useful so that you can have a full knowledge of everything Jesus has done for you. Because it's possible for you to not realize all that is true of you and all that has been done for you in Jesus unless you're coming around being sharpened by other believers, 
gathering for prayer, gathering in community to hold one another accountable, to confess sins to one another, to push one another toward Jesus. It has to happen in community. Paul himself bears witness to this. Look what he says in verse 7. He basically says, this has happened in my life. He says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He's saying to Philemon, he's, he's actually kind of buttering him up a little bit. He's trying to grease the skids because he's getting ready to drop the hammer in a couple of minutes and say some hard things. But that's okay. All of this is true. He's not lying to Philemon. He's saying, Philemon, listen, this truth, God has used it in your life. He's used you, brother, to comfort the believers when you were together with us. He's used you to do this. So, and he's saying, he's used, God has used you, Philemon, to do it in my life. So Paul is giving, he's bearing witness to it. The biblical witness, of course, agrees with this. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and Proverbs 27, I have these in italics there. I try to put the scriptures in italics to mark it off a little bit. It says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail, in other words, though one person might, might beat or might attack one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Last Sunday, a week ago today, I encouraged our church to think about people that you could reach out to. Think about unique ways that you can encourage those who are separated from us. Think about even those who are not separated from us, other believers maybe in your Sunday school class or others that you know, maybe someone who's younger, who's not as mature as you, or someone who is more mature than you. And, and you can form this threefold cord, maybe two believers in God, or three believers in God, to encourage one another, to push one another toward Jesus. Why? Because it says this in Proverbs 27, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So the point is this. Paul seems to be saying here that there are certain things about us that are true, that are secure, that are known to God that we will not even be aware of unless we are in disciple-making relationships among other believers. This is incredibly important. Will you all give me just a little bit of latitude? One of the things they say you shouldn't do when you're preaching, is to use political leaders as, as an illustration. I'm not trying to make a political point. I just happen to know a certain quote that I think fits, okay? So don't read anything into, the, into that beyond this, okay? Uh, back in the, in the 80s, or perhaps even before, I believe, I believe it, it was uh, maybe during the... Uh, Oh, the speech for Barry Goldwater in 76. But Ronald Reagan said, we are never more than one generation away from extinction. In other words, freedom, he was speaking about our country. He said, freedom, it's not that the principles that we hold dear are not passed down in the bloodstream. They have to be taught. They have to be fought for. They have to be rehearsed. In the same way, friends, we as a church are never more than one generation away 
from extinction. This stuff isn't passed down in the bloodstream. People only come to know Jesus through individual conversions. We need to be teaching these things with, a, with an urgency. We need to be sharing the gospel with an urgency that really does believe that one generation from now, the doors of this church could, could close. We're praying. We don't believe that's going to happen. We're asking God to give us grace. He, he's given us grace since 1860, and I believe He's not done with us. But friends, we have, to, we have to be sharing the gospel. We have to be making disciples of our children and our grandchildren. And we have to be doing this with a fervor that is asking God, God, don't, don't leave us alone. Give us another year. Give us another decade. Give us another century. We have to be teaching. We have to be rehearsing these things ourselves or else they'll, they'll slip away. We have to be in disciple-making relationships among other believers. How does this happen, though? How does it happen? Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember me saying sometime in the past that the way that the Bible writers would... They didn't have italics. They didn't have bold font like I do in different places. As a matter of fact, sometimes they use italics and bold together to really make a point. They didn't have this. But what they did have was word repetition. That was one of the things that they used. It was a tool in their, in their belt. So whenever you're reading through a chapter in the Bible and a word keeps getting repeated, this flag should be going up. Alarms are going off. It, this is the point, the point that the author is trying to make. I want to read the better part of 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're, we're going to see how knowledge and reminder are repeated. Knowledge and and reminder. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now he pivots. He pivots from knowledge to reminder. Watch this happen. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you 
know them. Sounds like knowledge, right? It's the root word of knowledge. I intend to remind you, although you know them, he's saying to them, I want to remind you of all the stuff you learned in vacation Bible school. Why? Because the Christian life isn't so much about learning new things as it is learning the old things deeply. Does that make sense? Learning the old things deeply. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Recall sounds a lot like what happens when you've been reminded. You can recall them. Here's what we learn here. Peter, he kind of fills out our understanding of how this growth, growth in the knowledge of Jesus, how it happens in greater detail. We become more like Jesus, yes, by placing ourselves in intentional, one-on-one, disciple-making relationships with other people and by being sharpened by them. But the how of this process, the how of this process is also is just as important to understand. So the philosophy, the theory, is be in relationships with one another. But the rubber meets the road is when you're in those relationships with one another, what should you be doing? You should be reminding one another of the knowledge of the Lord together. That's the what. That's the rubber meets the road practical outworking of these of these relationships. You should be ministering the Word of God, reminding one another of what you already know so that in the moment of trial, you'll be able to recall them. I've said this a minute ago. Word repetition, it, it signals to us what is important in this passage. Knowledge. Knowledge seems to be very important here. We must have a knowledge of facts. Doctrine is important. All of life is theological. We need to be able to think theologically. Here's something that I heard growing up. I heard folks say things like this. Don't give me that doctrine. Don't give me the theology. Just give me Jesus. Well, well what do you mean separating those two? What, what do you mean just give me Jesus? Well, 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 tell me about Jesus. What do you want to tell me about? Tell me about his love. Okay, that's the doctrine. It's the doctrine of the love of Jesus. Okay, well, well, well tell, me about his, tell me about His grace and His mercy. Well, that's a doctrine. It's how do we understand these things? In other words, there's no relationship with Jesus apart from truth about Him. Here's the, the thing, though. We all know, we all know that knowledge by itself can just become dry and dusty and no good for anybody, right? It's, it's no good just to be a walking Bible dictionary, Period. But when we have this knowledge and it's combined with faith and it's combined with, with worship, that's what overflows into a life that looks a lot like Jesus. In other words, here's what I mean. 
As we're reading through the Bible and we come across a doctrine about God, where it says, where it says, uh, well, I don't know. Let's look here. Let's look at Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Friends, that's doctrine. That's theology. That the Lord is something. What is true of Him. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, it's possible for you to memorize all of Psalm 103 and be unchanged. I think it would be difficult. because the re- but, but the reality is... If you allow the truth to lead you to praise, that's what causes life change. That's what causes growth in your knowledge of Jesus. In other words, if you do something like this, I'm reading along in the Bible. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Oh God, thank you for your mercy. I am the vilest sinner that the song refers to. I am the wretch that amazing grace talks about. Thank you that you are merciful to even such a sinner like me. Thank you that you're gracious, that you're abounding in steadfast love. God, because I need that. I need steadfast love. I need the love that doesn't change. I'm tired of the love that that comes and goes from from people in the culture and people in my workplace and even family members. I'm tired of that love that ebbs and flows. But you, God, you have the love that is steadfast. It never changes. That's what it looks like. To take truth and to turn it into praise so that it doesn't just stay dry and dusty. That it it gushes forth in in adoration of God. Um, If I had had been able to maintain control of all of my faculties, I might have gone a little bit quicker through this, but I I got off on preaching a little bit there. So I'm going to skip a little bit for the sake of time. Um, Why don't you just take my word that in all of the little passages, all of the little passages listed there at the bottom, it talks about the knowledge of God. In in all of these these books, or in in all of these letters in the New Testament, Luke, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, all of these books begin by talking about the knowledge of God. We have to have knowledge. We, We can't just have only knowledge. We have to let that knowledge lead us to worship and lead us to praise. So I would say, just as a quick little tip, if you're starting your Bible reading plan this year, if you you do that and you're on January 3rd's reading tonight, I would invite you to, to do it alongside a journal, just to open up a little journal, get you a little notebook or something like that, and whenever you read something, turn it into praise and write it down and, and see what God might do in your heart in 2021. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. We don't just know facts about God. We know Him through reading His Word, through coming to know truth about Him, and through turning that into worship. Turning it into praise. He says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. So here's the point. The point is this. In a word, knowledge is important. 
There are truths that we must know. There is no salvation in Christ apart from personal, conscious knowledge of Jesus, of Jesus Christ's life and work. In other words, there's no such thing, there's no such thing as someone who's never heard the gospel having some kind of religious experience and becoming saved. The only way that anyone ever gets saved is if someone, as it says in, in the book of Romans, is someone preaches to them, someone shares the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is a set of truths. It's a set of doctrines that people have to know. Knowledge is important. No, there is no salvation apart from personal, conscious knowledge of Jesus' life and work. There is no growth in Christ apart from growing in the knowledge and understanding of who He is. But knowledge by itself is not enough. Does that make sense? It says in the Bible, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Builds up. It says in Hebrews 4.2, For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they had heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We have to be able to unite with faith the truths that we hear. So what will allow us to make the crucial step from from head knowledge to deep, life-changing heart knowledge, it is reminder. Knowledge is not enough. Reminder. We have to be preaching these truths to ourselves. And friends, the more we preach these truths to ourselves, the more that we place ourselves under the teaching, the healthy teaching of God's Word, the more that we put ourselves in community with other believers who are able to remind us of what we need to keep in front of us, it'll be like, it'll be like that slow marinade that just sits and sits. And somehow, I don't know how God does it, but the knowledge of God makes that little 16 or 18 inch trip from right here to right here. And we become changed. That slow, meditating, marinating on God's Word, being reminded of it daily, it does spiritual good. It allows God's Word to do its work in our heart. There is a spiritual reality going on here. This is under the first little dash. For one reason or another, it's the, the koinonia. It's the, the sharing, the fellowship of our faith. That's the means that God has ordained as His means of making us more like Jesus. To have these truths be put in front of us. You, know, you want to know why? And I, can't, I don't know the mind of God, but I think I can piece things together biblically. You want to know why I think we need to be reminded of truth daily? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily? Is because of what Genesis 3 and Jeremiah 17 say about our hearts. We sing about it. We are prone to wander. Every day, it is our nature to try to go astray, just like sheep. So we need truth every day to smack us in the face and to turn us back and to redirect us back toward Jesus. That's a summary of the next little dash there. Um, yep. We need reminder in order. This is down a little, the second little bullet point right above where it says a final word. We need reminder in order to cling fast to the Word of God. 
We need reminder in order to keep ourselves from being, as it says in 2 Peter, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible to have the knowledge and to be ineffective in it. It's possible to have the knowledge and to be unfruitful in it. We're asking God to keep us from that. We're asking Him, Lord, take every truth that my parents ever preached to me, take every truth that every Sunday school teacher, every vacation Bible school volunteer, take every truth, help me to unite it with faith in my heart so that I can obey you. Here's a final word. Why should we make disciples? Why are we praying that the Lord would give an outpouring of His Spirit this year, that people would recognize their need to... Be, to, to to come to know Jesus and to be baptized and to follow Him? Why should we seek out one-on-one discipleship relationships? Why should we prioritize the local church and the ministry of the Word? Because of what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. And I have it down here at the bottom. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. In other words, the truth is not new. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you anything that you haven't ever heard before. I'm here, to, I'm here to tell you a bunch of old stuff that we need to hear again. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. I pray that God would keep us faithful, church, in 2021. I pray that we would be the kind of people that could be putting these truths in front of one another, pushing one another toward Jesus, making disciples, and praying every day. Lord, give us an outpouring of Your Spirit so that any weight that is in this church, that is holding us back from effective ministry, anything that might be in our way of knowing you better, of seeing people come to know Jesus and desire to be baptized and follow Him for the rest of their lives, anything that could keep, that could hold back one dollar being given to, to missions so that the end of the earth can hear of the name of Jesus, Lord, would you purify it from us? Would you give us grace so that we can know you better? Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your word. We know that the word of God does the work of God. I rehearse that enough. Lord, I, I repeat that enough. But we're also confronted with another truth tonight. And that's that the things that we learn from the word of God, if we don't combine them with faith, they could be just dry, dusty head knowledge. God, save us from ourselves. Help us not to just have these things be dry, dusty head knowledge. I pray, God, that you would, you would help us to turn the truth that we see in your word, to turn it into praise. So that it can be made useful in the lives of other church members. Lord, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray an unabashed, unashamed prayer right now and, and hope that you and Everyone else understands me. Lord, I pray that you would keep us safe during this time. God, this is such a tumultuous, such a, an anxiety-ridden time full of illness and, and danger. Help us to continue to be able to meet safely. I pray that those who, who genuinely need to be separated from us, Lord, and, and even in their conscience, they, they've determined this is not a good thing. Lord, we understand that. Good, goodness, we understand it, God. 
We all are having to try to make decisions and prudence and what's best for our families and our and ourselves. But Lord, I, I pray that you would not allow this season to represent a foothold for the enemy into marriages that were already on the brink, into families that were already really not prioritizing you, into situations that, Lord, it's like in, in a certain family or a certain soul, maybe that the, the seed of faith was beginning to sprout as just as this... This COVID season set in. Lord, I pray that you would not allow this thing to have the final word. And I know that you won't. Lord, keep us from, keep us from presumption and from, from foolishness. Help us not to make decisions in foolishness. Help us to be wise. But Lord, I pray that the church would not be the one thing that is, that is neglected during the season. God, would you help us to be wise, help us to be faithful to you at the same time. And and as we try to walk this road between the two ditches, Lord, keep us faithful. I pray that you would preserve us. God, would you do it? In the name of Jesus, amen.